I got this idea that the body rolled up in the drop cloth and I was going to cut it in half. I drove to Channel View, parked the car a little bit away and walked down toward the pier. There were no garbage bags out at the end of Channel View, but out at the end of the pier, I right away could see that the garbage bags had not sunk as they had appeared to do the night before and some of them were floating there. It seemed like there were more garbage bags coming in toward the land and a suitcase that Morris Black's torso was in. Wait a minute. I thought you said everything was in garbage bags. Is there a suitcase involved? Yes. The torso was in a suitcase. Were you further made aware that potentially there's an allegation that a missing head could have been carried away by a blue crab or some other local marine species? I heard that and it had a hard time not laughing because none of the crab, the blue crab or the stone crab, behave like ants and work together. And the crabs are so relatively small, their ability to move ahead doesn't strike with any of the marine science that I've known. Charlie, did you ever ask Bob what he did with the head? As a matter of fact, I did. Welcome back to Season 2 of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. I'm joined by my co-host, Brittany Bookbinder. The prosecution in The Trial of Robert Durst for the murder of Susan Berman has introduced evidence of his other alleged crimes in order to demonstrate that Durst has a history of tying up loose ends when he feels threatened. For the last two weeks, the jury has heard testimony from witnesses involved in Durst's 2003 Galveston trial for the murder of Morris Black. As you may recall from the prosecution's original opening statement, Morris Black was killed in 2001 when a gun went off in Robert Durst's Galveston apartment. After Morris Black's body parts were found floating in Galveston Bay, Robert Durst admitted to dismembering his friend, but denied killing him. Although Durst was acquitted in 2003, the prosecution in his current Los Angeles trial wants to show the jury that Robert Durst has a pattern of making calculated, if clumsy, moves in order to cover up his wrongdoings. As with many of the key pieces of evidence in this case, the truth seems to come down to one small but crucial detail. In Galveston, the question that was left unanswered, what happened to Morris Black's head? The prosecution in Los Angeles argues that the answer ties directly into the question of Robert Durst's guilt. In this episode, we'll explore how Robert Durst's testimony in 2003 compares to the prosecution's narrative today. Later in this episode, we'll speculate on the prosecution's theory of where Morris Black's head may have ended up. That's coming up after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
I did not kill my best friend. I did dismember him. That was actor David Kelsey reading Robert Durst's testimony from his 2003 trial in Galveston, Texas, for the murder of Morris Black. Over the past few days of Durst's L.A. trial for the murder of Susan Berman, his Texas testimony has been read into the record. We've taken the liberty of having David recreate Durst's testimony, with Kurt Cornelius reading questions by Durst's defense team, which included his current lawyer, Dick DeGarren, and our very own Carrie Antholis reading questions posed by the prosecution. Although Durst took the stand for four days, his defense essentially came down to that one line. I did not kill my best friend. I did dismember him. At that time, his defense attorney, Dick DeGarren, explained that Durst panicked and had no choice but to cover his tracks. As Deputy DA John Lewin pointed out last week, that is still the defense team's narrative. They are, in essence, repeating the identical defense that he used in Galveston. In essence, that Mr. Durst, in Galveston, he panicked, he didn't know what to do, no one was going to believe him, so he had to dismember the body. They are now saying with Susan Berman, literally, I found the body, they were never going to believe me, I panicked, and I sent the cadaver note. As we've reported earlier this season, DeGarren's explanation for his client's behavior in this case comes down to this basic principle. Bob doesn't make good decisions. It's part of his makeup. Why is the fate of Morris Black's head significant? Although Galveston investigators recovered Morris Black's torso and limbs, his head has never been found. The question of whether or not Durst went back and retrieved the severed head may provide insight into his state of mind. The defense maintains that in the aftermath of Morris Black's death, Robert Durst decided, in a drug and alcohol-induced stupor, to hide the evidence and run away. Here's what Robert Durst told DeGarren during his Galveston trial in 2003. Now, during this entire period of time, sir, can you give us a picture, a word picture of your state of mind? I guess I can. Do you have a precise recollection of those days? No. During cross-examination, Durst maintained that his actions were not cold and calculated, but rather entirely spur of the moment. Where did you plan to dump Mr. Black after you rolled him up in the tarp and found out you couldn't lift him? I didn't plan to dump him. Well, why were you rolling him up in the tarp and then you found out he was too heavy to lift? What was your plan? I did not have a plan. I don't know and I don't remember were Durst's go-to answers to many of the questions he was asked. During direct examination, the defense made a point of noting that Durst's memory was likely impacted by a cocktail of booze, pot, and sleeping pills. Had you been smoking marijuana in addition to the liquor that day? Yes, sir. At times, Durst couldn't even seem to tell whether or not he was dreaming. Is it your testimony to the jury that you don't know how you don't remember doing any of those things to that body, to his body? It was like waking up from a dream or a nightmare with blood everywhere. I remember blood everywhere. I remember like I was looking down on something and I was swimming in blood. 
and I kept spitting up and spitting up and I don't know what is real and I don't know what is not real. That is what I remember. In spite of his lapses in memory, Durst was able to provide an overview of his actions in the days following Morris Black's death. What were you thinking about Morris Black at that point? Morris Black's body? I had somehow got it into my mind that Morris Black had... There, there were a bunch of tools in his apartment, several saws and axes and hammers and stuff like that. And I got this idea that the body rolled up in the drop cloth and I was going to cut it in half. Mr. Durst, did you, during the course of that day, dismember Mr. Morris Black's body? Yes, sir. What did you do with the parts of the body? I put them in garbage bags. You put the garbage bags in your car? Yes, sir. Skipping ahead, later that night, did you take those bags to location on Channel View Drive? Yes, sir. Did you throw them all in the same place there? Yes, sir. During cross-examination, the prosecution asked Durst to go into more detail about his decision to dismember his friend. And you tried to move him to the front door, is that right? I didn't try to move him to the front door. I, I couldn't lift him. I could not lift the body. So you made a decision. I'm going to have to cut him in half. Yes, sir. The prosecution also asked Durst to describe the way in which he dismembered the body. What were you using to cut Morris Black with? I used the tools I had found in his apartment, two saws and an axe. Okay. And are we talking about an axe with a long handle, or are you talking about a hatchet kind of thing with a short handle? A big axe. A lot to do when you cut up a body. I'm just guessing. Is that right? Please explain. A lot to do. I have no idea how long it takes. Can you tell us how long it took to cut Morris Black up? I don't know. Can you tell us where you started? Arms? Legs? Head? I I don't remember. You don't remember? I don't remember. What did you start first with when you cut Morris? A hatchet? Excuse me, an axe? A paring knife? Or a saw? I don't know. Did you undress him before you started cutting him up? I don't remember. The prosecution then asked Durst about his plan for disposing of the body parts. When did you make a decision to go over to Channel View and dump the body there? When I got there. Well, how did you know that Channel View had a pretty good place to dump a body? It turned not to be pretty good, but I found Channel View that night. With the body parts or without the body parts? With the body parts. So you were driving around Galveston a little bit, looking for a good place to dump? Yes, sir. Was Channel View your first stop or maybe two or three stops down the road? There were seven or eight. After he tossed the bags containing the body parts off the pier, Robert Durst described waking up in fear that something had gone wrong. Tell me what you did that had anything to do with Morris Black's body on the morning of September the 30th. I was either dreaming or I would wake up thinking about the fact that I had left one of the garbage bags at the end of the pier. Well, did that... Were you thinking that, dreaming that, seeing that? What are you talking about? Well, I don't know which of those I was doing, but I kept picturing this garbage bag sitting 
at the end of the pier. After this incident, Durst returned to the pier. If he was panicked before, he had even greater cause for concern now. What did you do? I drove to Channel View, parked the car a little bit away, and walked down toward the pier. There were no garbage bags out at the end of Channel View, but out at the end of the pier, I right away could see that the garbage bags had not sunk as they had appeared to do the night before, and some of them were floating there. What did you do then, Mr. Durst? I panicked. I ran back to the car. And in the car, what did you do? Did you go anywhere in the car? I drove back to 2213 Avenue K. Ultimately, what did you do next? I drove back to the pier at 81st Street. Why? I don't know. What did you see after you went back to the pier there? It seemed like there were more garbage bags coming in toward the land and a suitcase that Morris Black's torso was in. Wait a minute. I thought you said everything was in garbage bags. Is there a suitcase involved? Yes. The torso was in a suitcase. What kind of suitcase? One of those giant Walmart suitcases. I bought five of these big, giant Walmart suitcases with the top. There's a zipper, so the top unzips. And what did you see relative to that suitcase when you got there, sir? The suitcase was floating in the water, and the torso was floating in the water separately. In spite of the reemergence of the body parts, Durst testified as follows. Well, Mr. Durst, what did you do next? I went back to 2213 Avenue K. He returned to the pier once more, but this time, someone had beaten him there. After it got dark, at some time, I went back to Channel View, and I saw that there were police cars down by the pier. Well, when you saw that there were police cars there, sir, what went on in your mind? I knew that my fingerprints would be on everything and that I would get caught. Well, what did you do? Oh, I went back to the San Luis Hotel. I took sleeping pills. Prosecutors asked Durst about his feelings at this stage. Last week, you indicated that you took great comfort, it appeared, in noting that those bags sank. You remember saying that? Yes, sir. If they floated up, you had a problem, didn't you? Yes, sir. When you came back Sunday and you saw them floating, you panicked, didn't you? Yes, sir. And the reality then was you were about to be discovered, weren't you, Mr. Durst? By late, when I saw the police there, I I knew I had been discovered. You knew that Morris Black was going to be identified, did you not? Yes, sir. You fully expected that, right? Well, when I saw the police had found everything, yes, sir. But you went there before the police, did you not, and see the bags floating? Yes, sir. You went there twice before the police, didn't you? Yes, sir. And you saw the bags floating? Yes, sir. And you knew then that you had a problem, did you not? Yes. You went back twice. Is it twice on Sunday you went back, or three times total? Three times total. You had a problem because the head was going to be discovered, didn't you, Mr. Durst? I thought everything was going to be discovered. Durst insisted that the severed head did not cause him any particular concern. Isn't it true that the head caused you the most concern, Mr. Durst? No, sir. 
you weren't concerned that Morris Black's likeness would be put in the paper and he would be discovered as having lived at 2213 Avenue K? I thought that all the garbage bags would have been found. I was surprised they found so few. Oddly, he wasn't asked if he retrieved anything from the water. When Daguerrean asked Durst why he delayed his escape, he was not able to provide much of an answer. Mr. Durst, I thought you told us you believed that you were, quote, caught, unquote. What kept you from just getting on the road and driving away? I don't know. Did you do anything else relative to the 2213 Avenue K apartments? Yes. I had intended to go over there. Generally, things that were left in my apartment were the bicycle and the marijuana that I kept in the freezer. After attending to these loose ends, Robert Durst hit the road. Well, what did you do, sir? Well, then I got in the car and I left and went to New Orleans. Did you drive straight to New Orleans? Yes, sir. By this point in Durst's narrative, the first time he left Galveston for New Orleans, the presumption on both sides seemed to be that Robert Durst had finished the process of disposing of Morris Black's body. After all, he testified to dumping everything in Galveston Bay at one time, in roughly the same spot, and he was not asked about whether he retrieved any of the bags from the water. If the head was dropped in Galveston Bay and never retrieved, what happened to it? The defense does not appear to have an explanation for this, but in recent days, several possibilities have been offered up. Perhaps the head was swept off to sea by the tide, or picked up by a large crab, or perhaps the dive team simply failed to locate it. Last week, the prosecution in Durst's L.A. trial for the murder of Susan Berman addressed each of these theories. Are you confident, based on your background, training, your experience, and what you saw that day, that all these areas you described were completely and thoroughly searched? Yes. Did you find a head? No. That was Randall Burroughs, a former lieutenant of the Galveston County Sheriff's Office in charge of the Marine Division and Dive Team. He was part of the team that searched Galveston Bay in 2001, and he was questioned last week by Deputy DA Habib Balian. If someone had thrown those body parts at the same time, with the head thrown in at the same spot at the same time, would you have found the head? Absolutely. you have any doubt about that? No doubt. In your opinion, was that head thrown in the same spot at the same time as those other body parts? No. Any doubt about that whatsoever? No. We'd have found it. The prosecution next asked about the possibility of a sea creature carrying the head away. What about marine animals? Was there any marine animals that live in this Bay Area that could have carried that head away? The only marine animals that might be there in that area would be uh, blue crabs, which are about the size of my hand at biggest, they're not going to move ahead. There's no giant crabs in Galveston Bay that could no. carry that head away? Despite the picture of the one on, on front of Guido's, that was not the one caught in Galveston Bay. What about sharks? Are there sharks at this time in this area? Not in that vicinity, no. It's too shallow for them to be up in there. The prosecution then introduced the possibility that, upon returning to Galveston Bay and finding the bags of body parts floating in the water, Robert Durst retrieved the head and disposed of it elsewhere. Of course, it's possible that somebody deposited all the stuff at one time and then ripped open one of the bags, came back later, and took the head. It's possible. Okay, that would be another explanation for not having a head there, right? Before we got there, yeah. Okay. Any other scenario where you can conceive of 
why that head would not be found. Those two, it's, it was thrown and recovered and, and removed, or it wasn't thrown at all. The prosecution also called Ben Hodges, a professor at the University of Texas who specializes in fluid mechanics, or the way in which water moves. He was also questioned by Deputy DA Habib Balian. If it's been asserted that the head could have been carried out into Galveston Bay, into deeper water, or out to sea, based on your knowledge, your experience, your expertise, is this in any way a legitimate scenario that's supported by scientific analysis? No, it's not. Balian also asked Hodges to weigh in on the possibility of a large crab carrying off the head. Were you further made aware that potentially there's an allegation that a missing head could have been carried away by a blue crab or some other local marine species? I heard that and it had a hard time not laughing because none of the crab, the blue crab or the stone crab, behave like ants and work together. And the crabs are so relatively small, their ability to move ahead doesn't strike with any of the marine science that I've known. When it came to the likelihood of the dive team finding the head, Hodges saw two possibilities. I want you to assume that the head was dumped at the same time at the same general spot as the other body parts. Would you expect it to have been located with the other body parts? Yes. Assuming it wasn't either A, not thrown in, or B, someone went back and picked it up and took it out of the water. It, it had to, if it was thrown in, somebody had to remove it, or it was never thrown in. Those, those are, are the only things that make sense to me. If the head were thrown into the water, Hodges testified that it would have ended up within the search area. Did you assume that items were thrown in this area off of this concrete pier? Yes. And did you form any opinions? Yes. If things were thrown off the left side that they would very likely end up within those yellow lines. And you say very likely. Can you conceive of a scenario where they're not going to end up in that yellow area? No. Based on the water conditions? No, I, I, very likely is, is, is just my, the typical way a scientist would, would say something. There's, there's nothing, no way in which the, those conditions so consistent over so many days, that's where things would end up. And let's assume someone threw something off towards the right, where would it end up? And or, would, or straight off. Yeah, straight off, it could end up going, there's going to be a stagnation point there where things could go either direction. Okay, and, and what is your opinion if it was thrown off to the right, where it would end up? It, it would end up on the green uh, marked within there where, where things were found. In your opinion, was the search area that was described to you adequate to find any objects that would have been tossed off that jetty? Yes. During cross-examination, DeGarren took a shot at the dive team but seemed to misunderstand the extent of the methods they used in their search. So your, your conclusions that it should have been found, if it were there, depend on the efficiency of the search, right? That's correct. Meaning they could have missed it, right? I, I would say that if the search was carried out, in the way that was documented in the dive logs, that they could not have missed it. Well, uh, the dive logs just give uh, reports of who was diving and where they were diving, right? And the procedures they were using in the diving. Yes, and uh, we know, uh, it's beyond any argument, that the 
the members of the dive team had to rely on feel alone, not anything visual, right? They also had a net they were using. Yes. But so so they were feel alone. Well, no, not feel alone. When you have a net, you get to see what's caught in the net. Wait a minute. Are you saying that your understanding is that they drug the area with a net? They had a seines net that was listed in in the logs that they were using. Degarin also raised the possibility that Hodges had not taken extreme weather conditions into consideration with his analysis. You're aware, of course, that since the 2001, there was a massive hurricane that hit Galveston Island. Correct. Hurricane Ike. And the tides during that hurricane were 8, 10, even 12 feet, weren't they? That's correct. And they move a lot of sand and a lot of water. Well, they, they move a lot of sand and a lot of water, uh, but Galveston Bay overall is about 12 feet deep, at its, except for the ship channels, and that doesn't change much by those, those, uh, the storm tides. On redirect, Deputy D.A. Balian returned to this point. Mr. DeGuerin also asked you about Hurricane Ike. Have there been other hurricanes in the Texas area? Certainly. Well, was there any hurricanes from September... 28th, 2001 to September 30th, 2001 in the area? No, there wasn't. Okay. If there were, would your opinions probably be different in this case? They would be very different. Balian also asked about how the three bags containing the head may have become separated. I want you to assume that three of those five floating bags in that area were empty and had each one of them had a two and a half to three foot hole in them. Okay? Correct. I want you to assume that those three empty floating bags, okay? I want you to assume that they're all tied in overhand knots, each one of them, okay? And I want you to assume that they previously were all contained within each other. In other words, you had a bag tied in an overhand knot. And that bag was placed in a second bag tied in an overhand knot. And then that bag was placed in a third bag, tied in an overhead knot. Okay? You understand what I'm asking? Yes. But I want you to assume that at one point they were all inside of each other, and they were all torn open at the same time, taken apart, torn open at the same time. Okay. Okay? Assume when they were thrown off the pier, they had a head in them, and no one came back and retrieved the head. Where would you expect to find that bag? It would be right there along the, the beach. It cannot get out from... There's no way the currents can move anything out of that little bay. Okay. He drilled down on whether anything other than human activity could have caused the tears in these bags. That tearing, two and a half to three foot tears in those bags that I've described to you, based on your background and your training and your experience, are those consistent with any kind of tearing that would occur to those three bags from any natural marine life or in the water? There's no marine life that I know of that would tear a two and a half foot hole in a bag. Assuming they're thrown in the water off that pier on the evening of the 29th and they're found on the 30th, would you expect those three bags to be separated by anything other than human activity? No, I cannot see them being separated. Unwilling to let the point go, when Daguerrean questioned Hodges again, he asked about other ways in which the bags might have become separated. Are you aware of the formation of barnacles on things that are left in the water in, in Galveston Bay? Yes, I know that they do occur. And barnacles are sharp, aren't they? That's, that's correct. 
and some of the rocks and so forth are also sharp, correct? That's correct. And wave action and mo moving water action can certainly cause bags to scrape up against moisture shells, other sharp instruments there. It's not all just beautiful sand, right? That, that's correct. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When Balian questioned Hodges once more, he asked about the result of the tearing, regardless of how it happened. Let's assume that these three bags I was talking about that were floating um, in this area with, with tears in them, the two and a half to three foot tears, let's assume that at some point um, they contained the head. Okay? Okay. And those bags were all found uh, floating where there's a mark saying five floating bags. Let's assume that there are some barnacles or something sharp enough to cut those bags open. And let's assume the head fell out. The head would have fallen out um, in the same general area between the pier and uh, the, this jetty, right? Correct. And then would you have expected it to be found um, in the search that was done in this particular case? Yes, I would. To put a finer point on it, Balian asked about his opinion of the search area. Would you see any need to search the 30 miles across Galveston Bay for this head? No. The prosecution's position is clear. If the head were in Galveston Bay, dumped in the same spot as the other body parts, the dive team would have recovered it. They believe that Robert Durst retrieved the head and disposed of it somewhere else. So where is the head? According to a New York Daily News article published in 2019, Deputy DA John Lewin is quoted, Our position is, Durst went back, got the head, wrapped it in a blanket, and threw it somewhere in a gator's belly between Houston and New Orleans. In Galveston, although Durst made no mention of transporting Morris Black's head, he did testify to driving off the main road and into swampland in an attempt to dispose of his car. This is what he told Dick DeGarren during direct examination. Did you make any plans as what to do with your car? Yeah. I thought I would do sort of what I did the first time around in Galveston and leave the car someplace or other. And I decided I would find some place in the woods outside of New Orleans to hide the car. Well, what steps, if any, did you take to do that? Find a place to hide or dump the car? Well, I 
drove about an hour outside of New Orleans, and I found an old logging trail or road or whatever and drove down the logging road, and there was a tree trunk across the logging trail. And I got out of the car, and I walked a ways down it. And I decided that if I left the car there, nobody would ever find it. Could you get past the log? Yeah, I couldn't get the car past the log, no. What did you do? Well, then I went back to New Orleans, and there's a hardware store right near the apartment I had rented, and I went in and bought a bow saw. You went all the way back there, pardon me, all the way back into New Orleans from the river road? Yes, sir. After you bought the bow saw, did you proceed with your plan? I never used it. Well, you didn't dump your car on a logging road then, I take it? No. In rebuttal to Robert Durst's Texas testimony, the prosecution appears to be suggesting that Durst wrapped the head of Morris Black in a blanket after retrieving it from Galveston Bay, then dumped the head somewhere between Galveston and New Orleans. Based on the prosecution's prior on-the-record public statements, they are likely to assert that this theory is supported by the fact that when Durst got to New Orleans, he took a blanket to a dry cleaner. Indeed, Durst admitted to taking a blanket to a dry cleaner under oath in Galveston. The next day would be Tuesday, October the 9th. Do you remember what you did on that day? I woke up early, and when I got to Galveston, I remembered I had put the laundry in the back seat, in the back of the Honda, and I had taken a couple of blankets and stuff to a dry cleaner in New Orleans. And I had a couple of garbage bags of laundry in the back of the Honda. So I went down and I got the laundry and I put it in the machines. And then it was 7, 7.30 like that. Too early to call a lawyer. So I drove downtown and walked around for a while. Then after you walked around a while, do you recall going on the 9th of October to Dr. Matocha's office? Yes, to pick up the glasses that I had ordered the previous, I guess, week ago Monday. What happened next after you left the optometrist's office? I got arrested. At this point, neither the blanket that Robert Durst laundered on October 9th, 2001, nor his Honda have been entered into evidence. We will update you if and when they are. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. To discuss these developments in the trial of Robert Durst, we're joined by reporter Charlie Bagley, who's covering the story for the New York Times and for CrimeStory.com. And we welcome back Carrie Antholis after his brief voice acting stint. Yes, I'm, I'm bowing here. You can't see me, but I'm, I'm taking my bow. Brittany, 
You've been following this testimony that's being read into the record from the Galveston trial pretty closely. What has struck you particularly about that testimony? I was so surprised when I found out that they were going to be introducing this evidence because it seemed to me, who is somebody who doesn't have uh, legal training, like, wouldn't that be double jeopardy? Um, Carrie, could you could you speak to that? Sure. It's not double jeopardy because he's not being tried for Black's murder. He's being tried for Susan Berman's murder. And part of the prosecution's theory is that his actions in Galveston after the death of Morris Black actually spoke to a state of mind that was both guilty and trying to cover up his actions. And so it's it's both evidence of a modus operandi for Durst and it's evidence of what he does when he's conscious of his own guilt. Okay, that makes sense. And as far as watching it play out in the courtroom, I've just really been struck by how wildly it seems to swing between being incredibly graphic to listen to the descriptions of the dismemberment and also the crime scene photos, which are absolutely brutal to look at, and then just kind of long stretches of listening to people read since they're having uh, law students read in the testimony instead of having some of these witnesses come in person. So... Charlie, I'm actually really curious to hear, you know, from your point of view, since you're going into the courtroom, how do you think this is playing with the jury? Well, I I am surprised that two months in, every time I look at the jury, they seem very focused, very absorbed. They're making notes in their notebooks. They still, two months in, they are totally focused. So I, I think they're getting a lot out of it. Yeah, and DeGuerin actually mentioned that the testimony from 20 years ago, Bob's testimony from 20 years ago, is not necessarily what it would be today. What's your sense of the defense team's new strategy? Well, I I actually was kind of shocked by that. DeGuerin said, this is so the jury can be reminded. It's not necessarily what would be the testimony today. So what does that mean? Bob was under oath when, when he spoke in 2003 in Galveston. Now there's a different version. I'm not sure where they're going with that. Yeah, I um, I wonder if they're sticking with the notion that a sea creature or a large crab picked up the head. <laughs> that may be the best explanation. Charlie, did you ever ask Bob what he did with the head? As a matter of fact, I did. Uh, back in 2015, while the jinx was being broadcast, uh, I was talking to Bob after every episode. And certainly for the first three episodes, he did not think he had anything to worry about. And uh, so at that time, I, I asked him, so Bob, what? where is the head? A- and he said that my guess was as good as his as to where the head was. What was up with buying the bow saw? I know he says he wanted to cut a tree at that dirt road, but that doesn't really add up. What do you think was going on with the bow saw? Or at least what are some of the theories that are out there? I'm pretty sure that the bow saw that he used on Morris Black has not been found. There were other bow saws found. And that suggests perhaps that the head and the bow saw disappeared together. You can never have enough bow saws. (laughs) Well, again, Charlie, Brittany, thanks for being with us today. And um, we're looking forward to an interesting week of testimony coming up. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. 
Please remember that you can receive alerts and news breaks on developments in Robert Durst's murder trial, as well as new episodes of Season 2 of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst, by subscribing now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, if you want to refresh your memory on where the prosecution and defense are heading with their arguments in the trial, go back and re-listen to episodes from Season 1. And head over to CrimeStory.com for in-depth coverage of the Durst story. Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst, is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. This episode was written and edited by yours truly, Brittany Bookbinder. It was co-produced by Alexis Notabartolo and Brittany Bookbinder. Robert Durst's testimony was read by David Kelsey. The Galveston defense, including Dick DeGaren's questioning, was read by Kurt Cornelius, and the Galveston prosecution was read by Carrie Antholis. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst.